Father, thank you so much for your word. And on this day of Pentecost, as we remember the sending of your Holy Spirit to your people who were in lockdown and were wondering what was going to happen next. And you sent your Holy Spirit and uh, you uh, released them to serve you in your world, to proclaim the gospel to the nations. And we praise you that today we can see the fruit of that sending in one another and in even in this church family of many nations and we pray now that the same spirit would open our eyes and our hearts and help us to hear what you're saying in these words to us now in this situation that we're in today so that we can uh, live for you and serve you in your world and we pray in Jesus name amen Well, um, many of us struggle with finding motivation. I guess we, if we we're honest, we might agree with that. I mean, for myself, I have to say exercise is one area where I, I kind of know this is a good thing to do, but I really struggle sometimes to find the motivation to do it. Um, I've noticed this over the last few weeks, I've noticed that there's a group of people who seem to have got that hacked during lockdown. And that group of people is joggers now I'm not a jogger but I've, I've watched these joggers and they choose they got the best moment to go out jogging they go out jogging during the Thursday night 8 p.m clap for carers um, on our doorsteps which, which strikes me it's just a brilliant move because everybody is uh, clapping and cheering and uh, they are um, you know you're, there you are going down the street and everyone's clapping and cheering for you and um, uh, the, the uh, you, you, you really find the motivation to do what um, uh, the exercise that you need to do. So I know we can't do that anymore because of the um, uh, that, that's come to an end. But uh, it was the same on the Tour of Britain cycle race. I remember a few years ago, people were, uh, you know, all, all the crowds are down there waiting. We, we, we were out in, uh, in Chesham before and it came through Chesham and the uh, we were there standing and waiting and waiting and waiting for the race to come and then suddenly the cyclists would would come through but they, these were just random cyclists who were just out for a, a joy ride and uh, they were cycling through and the crowds are cheering and saying come on because they're so pleased to see anybody while they're waiting that seems to me to be a great way to get some motivation um but we the thing about motivation is we don't usually struggle to find the motivation to do things that are easy or that come easily to us. I don't need any motivation at all to eat several chocolate brownies in a row, uh, particularly the ones that Sue makes. Um, or I don't need any motivation to watch yet another episode on Netflix. But actually it's the hard things that I struggle with. It's the hard times that make finding motivation even harder. So what are, you, what are you struggling to find motivation for at the moment? Maybe to, to get up and go to work, to get cracking on the homeschooling as, as we get back into it in this new half term tomorrow, to um, maybe make decisions that need to be made about the future. Particularly when it comes to motivating others, we often feel like we have no option 
but to opt for what you might call a brute force approach. You know, not necessarily literally, but you know, do this or else there will be consequences. You will lose your screen time, we might say to children. You will go to bed early. You will lose your job, we might tell ourselves, if I don't get up and, and, and get on with this. And so we crack on with delivering another day's work. And people often assume that Christian faith works a bit like this. So that the, the primary motivator is stick rather than carrot. You know, keep the rules or else. So that makes God a kind of distant headmaster in the sky, keeping a file on our good behaviour and our bad behaviour. And, you know, you better jolly well measure up. And I think at the best of times, that's a hard dynamic to, to deal with. But what about when you're suffering? What about when life is tough? Isn't it even harder then to be motivated by a kind of distant, grumpy headmaster figure who's just out to note your mistakes? You know, I think when we're suffering, we just think, well, I, I just need to get through today, frankly. I just need to do whatever it takes. I, I, I mean, you know, frankly, forget God, really. Forget all that. I just need to get through this. That's so easily where we end up when things are tough. But in the Bible, what we find is a God who wants to motivate his people to keep going, not primarily through sticks and punishments, you know, do this or else. But by giving his people a new identity, a new future, a new hope. And that's what we've seen so far in this extraordinary letter, 1 Peter, that we've been going through very slowly, verses 3 to 12. We've seen... Look, this, this hope that we have in the face of death and suffering. Because Jesus has risen from the dead. And, and look um, at how in these verses we've seen how this can make us rejoice. Peter's saying, look, at, look, look how good it is. Now we're going to speed up a bit through the rest of this letter. But we're going to see that this future hope that we've been kind of reveling in and really getting hold of over these last few weeks we're going to see how this continues to be the motivator, the prime motivator for our lives. And in particular today, what we see in this reading from, from 1.13 to 2 verse 3, is we see that this continues to be the, the, the key motivator for holiness and for love. Two key ingredients to the Christian life, holiness and love. We are called, in the light of all that we've seen so far, we are called, we are motivated to wholehearted holiness and wholehearted love. Those are the two main points for us to see this morning. Wholehearted holiness, wholehearted love. So first, wholehearted holiness, verses 13 to 21. Have a look with, that, with me if you've got it in front of me or search it up on Bible Gateway. He says this word holy, he says uh, it twice, verses 15 and 16, he says, be holy. Holiness is about being set apart. You know, God is holy. He's different from everything and everyone else that he has made. He's different because he's perfectly pure and good and loving. And so he's like that. And then he says to his people, because I'm like that, because I'm holy, you be holy. You now be different from the world around you. Now, we've seen this this week in our 
daily Bible readings in Leviticus, which you know never seems like the most obvious place to go uh, during lockdown. But that's where we got to in our Old Testament in two years. And so we've carried on. But actually, one of the things we've seen is, look, this is about holiness. And it's not about random rules. It's about being set apart. It's about living distinctively. And, and verses 13 to 21, he, he unpacks that a bit and, and, and what that looks like. And he connects it to the motivation to do that. So verses 13 and 14, have a look at that. Uh, it's about holiness is about thinking and about living differently because of where you're going. So the world around us thinks this is the destination. This world is all there is. So if it's not perfect, we, we panic. But the, the Christian knows there's something better to come. That's the destination. So live in the light of that. Don't live for now. Prepare your minds for action and set your hope on what's coming. And not, verse 14, uh, not on the past. We, we, we so easily become contented with living for here and now, for remaining in pre-Christian lives, you might call it, focused on present comfort. And C.S. Lewis summed up why this is so crazy for a Christian. C.S. Lewis said this, he said, we are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child, he says, who, who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We're far too easily pleased. Can, can, you see, can you see what he's saying? See, if, if we've understood this, if we've understood verses 3 to 12, the point is, why are we still fooling around with the values of a world that is living for here and now, that says here and now is all there is? Verse um, 17 continues the thought. Be holy because of who God is. He's an impartial judge. He doesn't sweep sin under the carpet and pretend it hasn't happened. No, the only solution to our sin is to go to the foot of the cross and see that Jesus has taken the judgment we deserve. So C.S. Lewis, again, in his Narnia books, has Aslan as the God figure, the lion. If you've seen that, and it's, we're going to see um, Narnia's coming up on Netflix. They're going to do the whole lot on Netflix. It'll be well worth seeing that. But one of the things we'll see is Aslan. The, uh, kind of standing for God and the children hear about this lion and they say to Mr Beaver a lion you know oh, that, that sounds scary is he safe and Mr Beaver says of course he isn't safe he's a lion but he is good in other words you, you, you can't mess with God but that's not because he's the distant headmaster in the sky just looking for failure. But he, he is good. He is all good. He is perfectly holy and good. He is compassionate. You can't flee from him, but you can flee to him. And that's why, therefore, verse 17, Peter says, conduct yourselves with fear. Now, should we fear God? Well, the thing is, we all fear something. That's the point. 
Actually, we're surrounded by fear right now. We know that, don't we? There's so much fear in our world around us and in the people that we, that we meet and we talk to. Fear is driving decisions daily in response to the pandemic. Sometimes for good, sometimes for bad. But Peter is saying, fight fear with fear. Don't fear what the world around you fears. Fear God. Because when you fear him, you will find you have nothing else to fear. Because he's not safe, but he's good. And we can trust him. So be holy. Be holy. Be, be holy because of where you're going. We've seen be holy because of who God is. And then <clears throat> in the end of this first half of the passage, verse 18 to 21, be holy because of what God has done. You have been redeemed verse 18, redeemed from your old way of life at the cost of the death of Jesus. This is all Exodus, Passover language. In the Old Testament, the Jewish nation was taught never to forget the price that has been paid for their redemption. Well, how much more true is that in Christ? It's like if generous Uncle Albert has given you an all-expenses luxury holiday for free, and you're off to the Caribbean at no cost. It's all been paid. Now, if that's true, and that is where you're going, are you then going to complain if there's a bit of traffic on the way to the airport? If there's some turbulence on the flight? Are you going to send a text to generous Uncle Albert complaining that actually there was only one drinks round on the flight to get there? And I was hoping for two. You know, your entire holiday has been paid for at great cost. Focus on that. That makes the journey worth it and it means then living in the light of that future and what has been done for you to get that for you uh, to live in the light of that right now see our world says we can be self-made people but we're not our own we belong to the god who made us and saved us if we're trusting Jesus. Christians are different. That's the point. And we tend to want to shy away from that, to, be, to kind of just be the same as everyone else, to want to stick out, whether that's at school or whether that's at, uh, at work or wherever it is. To, we want to blend in in the name of, of relevance or something. And we fear if we stick out that other people will sideline us, will ignore us. But Holiness is always about being different in order to bless the world around us. That was always the plan in the Old Testament, that through this distinctive people who lived differently from the world around them, the whole world would see God and his plan acting out and come to know him too. That's the point of holiness, as we keep seeing through this letter. And these uh, verses then challenge us as we think about holiness. They, they challenge us in our hopes, in our passions, and in our fears, hopes and passions and fears. Think about those. These are very real human emotions, aren't they? What are we setting our hopes on in this season? Is it merely that one day we will meet again, as we sang so sort of hopefully on VE Day a few weeks ago? It's a lovely sentiment, isn't it? We'll meet again. There will be a day when we gather together again. And I, I mean, we pray that that's true. Of course we do. And we long for it. And we long to be together as God's family. But a Christian has so much more simply than what might happen in a few weeks or months time uh, or what might happen for the rest of our lives. The Christian has so much more in the new heavens and the new earth to put our hope in. 
And I hope in that, not just in things being restored to be just about as good as they were before. Were they really that good? Were they really so good that we can stake our whole lives on the here and now? No, stake them on the, on the there and then, on the new heavens and the new earth when Jesus returns. So this challenges our, our hopes. It challenges our passions. What, you know, verse 14, what do, we, what do we long for? He's saying, don't be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, of your old way of life before you came to trust in Christ, if there was that period before you trusted in him. What do we long for? Is it, is it actually any different from an atheist next door neighbour? Or, or are we being content with mud plies in the slums? And something far more beautiful and wonderful is on offer in knowing the God we were created to know. We're creatures who are wired to look for blessing, blessing ultimately from God, but we prefer to push God out of it and look for ways to bless ourselves. That is futile, says Peter. It is futile. First, look at that in verse 18. The futile ways inherited from your forefathers. Don't, don't be like the world around you. And, and be, don't be passionate about the here and now. Be passionate for God and for eternity. Many Christians can, can look back and say, yes, you know, it's true. I used to live for football or my career or the next relationship. But do you know what? Those passions don't hold the same power on me anymore because God is my passion. And if we can't say that yet, we need to go back to Jesus at the cross. We need to just, just think, what has he done for me? Because that is where he will change our hearts and our passions. If we've begun to be able to say that, pray that it will be true more and more. But we are living for there and then, not for here and now. For him and not for ourselves. So it affects our hopes and our passions and it affects our fears. As we've seen, fight fear with fear. Fear of the Lord. Learn to fear him as the one who is all holy, all good, and then we will learn to trust him with everything else. So that is the life of wholehearted holiness uh, based, on, uh, based on what God is calling us to, the future, based on who God is, based on what he's done for us, affecting our, our hopes and our passions and our fears. If you're not yet trusting in Jesus, can you see that the motivation for living differently is what God has done for us and how good and loving he is? Don't try and do that life if you've not yet first responded by trusting in what he's done. That's what these verses are saying to us. And then in the, in the second half of the reading, he moves from holiness to wholehearted love. So secondly and finally, this is the second main thing we're seeing in these verses from verse 22 onwards. Wholehearted love for one another. So verse 22, you've put your trust in Jesus, he says in so many words. Now love one another deeply, not superficially, deeply, because you've been born again with an imperishable seed. Our, you know, our world gives us a, a set of structures, a set of identity markers by which we can define ourselves. You know, my, my career, I am a doctor, I am a lawyer, I am a teacher, I am a road sweeper, I am a shelf stacker, whatever it is, my career defines me. 
or, or my status amongst my peers is what, where I get my identity from. Or I find fulfillment in my children and their success or lack of it. Or I find it in my academic work. And Peter is saying all of that is passing away. Verse 24, look at that. All flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. It's a quotation from Isaiah chapter 40. We heard it in the, in the first reading. But what Peter is saying is the eternal word has given us new birth into a new community. You have been born again, verse 23. You've been born again, not of, in, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable. So, so it, it, don't be like the flower of the field, the flower of the grass that just uh, is there for a moment. Realize you've got a new birth, a new identity. And then realize the implication of that. And it's striking what Peter thinks the, the, the implication of that is for us. He thinks the implication is to love one another deeply. Now, why does he say that? Because we love what we value. If what we value in the end is the stuff in verse 24, which is passing away, you know, the structures and the identity markers of this world, the, the career and the house and even security and safety here and now, if we live for now and not for then and for ourselves and not for him, then, then we will love those things which are passing away and we will prioritise loving them over loving one another. But if you realise that we are now a citizen of a new community, or of a new people, which lasts beyond death into eternity, well, actually, then you have a new set of allegiances that will last forever, and you have a new group of people to love. And Peter concludes, chapter 2, verse 1, this is pure spiritual milk. What he means by that is this is Christianity 101, if you like. No, just simply loving one another, living for them, not for now, living for others, not for ourselves. This is just getting back to basics on what the Christian life is about. Now, I think this is deeply challenging for us and in this present season, in these circumstances, for, for a whole number of reasons. In, in one sense, it's not difficult for us to see right now that the world we live in is fragile and is passing away. But the thing is, one response to that is simply just to try and cling on even harder, to pour more and more money and time and love into getting back to where we were before. But this is a time to be asking as a church, not just in this season, um, but when we're able to meet again in our building, God willing, what have we learned about what really matters in the life of God's people? What have we learned about love? You know, North London lifestyles are often marked by frenetic busyness and chaos. And for the world around us, there's an element of fear of missing out. I think a lot of the time, you know, wanting what's best for ourselves and our children if we have them. So, so clinging on to security and wealth. And so the diary gets fuller and fuller. And if we're honest, Christians, we, we just do the same. And maybe sometimes we do it for the same reasons. And we end up with God and his people just slightly pushed to the side and push to the margins of our lives. And we end up kind of saying, well, you know, I'll be, I'll be there with God's people on a Sunday if nothing else comes up. 
but it doesn't take much to, to, to push that to second on the priority list. And maybe we do that because we haven't stopped to think what actually matters here? What's going to last? What and who do I really love? And maybe one reason we're in this season is to teach us the value of one another and of being with one another when we gather. Now, as restrictions are lifted and, you know, we've heard groups of six can meet together as long as it's done safely and with social distancing and, and, and so on. You know, I think we're still a long way off a kind of centrally organised church gathering. And of course, we're, we're working towards that as best we can. But let's make the most of the opportunities we have right now. Now, don't wait for the staff or the ministry oversight team to kind of organise something. You can't do that with groups of six. Get on with loving one another as best we can in, 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 in um, using the, 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 within the boundaries that we have at the moment. And let's not forget the vulnerable who won't be able to meet in person for a considerable period to come. So love one another. Think about what we value. But loving one another goes beyond this community. It extends to the worldwide church, doesn't it? To the worldwide body of Christ. Should it not extend this week to standing with black brothers and sisters, particularly in the USA, who are grieving the death of George Floyd, Christian man who'd been actively involved in urban youth work in Houston, Texas? See, when one part of the body suffers, we all suffer. And one way we can love one another here and now is by loving one another as a family of many nations across race and ethnicity and standing for one another loving one another like this isn't just for our benefit not just for us it's for the benefit of a watching world it's the same as the holiness thing so that when people encounter christians they say oh wow you know church isn't just a club for you it isn't just a sunday activity like going to the gym or joining an orchestra it shapes everything about you because you are living for eternity and I think again I think this is so challenging to hear particularly when we're finding life hard when we're suffering because there are so many pressing things to think about <clears throat> but remember Peter is writing to Christians who are suffering like us in many ways and he doesn't say wait until everything has calmed down and then you can get on with loving one another deeply once you've got everything else sorted. He says, love one another deeply here and now in these circumstances you find yourself in. Now, many of us are wonderfully doing that. Praise the Lord for, for, for so many things and ways in which people are doing that, seen and unseen. I've sometimes said, if you don't like church, you're going to hate the new heavens and the new earth because we've been born into this new eternal community by hearing the news of eternity in his word. Nothing else will last, but God's people will live on into eternity. So live for then and be holy now. Love one another and show the world what this community looks like. And keep finding the motivation to do that as we've seen in who God is and in what he's done. Let me lead us in prayer now in response to that. Father, we praise you for who you are, for what you've done, for the glorious future you have in store for those 
who trust in Jesus. May you then transform us to be holy as you are holy, to live distinctively, not to just be caught along with the crowd and with the culture and with what everyone else is panicking about, but to live trusting in you and living distinctive lives of love. May we be especially marked by love for one another, both within the church family and in the worldwide church. May we be known not for division, not for um, hatred. May we be known for love. May we be known for the way that we live out the way you have loved us. May we love one another deeply. Help us to see what that looks like for each of us in our individual circumstances, even as we suffer, even as we find things hard. May we live as you call us to. And so we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.